0: Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org.
1: May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. Good morning, good morning, happy new year. If we have not met, I'm Melissa Lukowicz. I'm so glad to see you on this first day of January 2023. When I was a little girl, one of my favorite things to do when I was going to bed, of course, I like to let the process linger a little bit like any good kids, right? Guys, you like to get another cup of water or, you know, ask a little bit more questions. But one of my favorite things was to ask my parents to tell me a story about when they were little, when they were my age. Anyone else? like a good story. Um, And it's always so neat to me to think about how we can actually like learn something about someone that's a lot older and has lived a long time ago, maybe, but yet we don't know what it was like when they were little because we weren't there with them. And so I always love being able to hear these stories. And I think sometimes when we think about Jesus, we have all these stories about his birth and when he was first born and when he was going to be born. And then we have all these stories and these teachings and these truths about his actual ministry, you know, when he actually was an adult and he started his ministry. And we have whole books of the Bible given to us about his ministry. But there's this whole big gap from birth and through his adulthood that we don't see a whole lot. And so today we get this rare opportunity to look at this passage in the gospel of Luke, it's the only one that we have that talks about Jesus as a boy. And so kids, this is a good one for y'all to be in here for, because you know what, it's your age, around your age, around 12, and I know it's not all of you are 12, but in uh, when Jesus was a child, this is kind of like we get to ask him, what was it like when you were my age, when you were a kid? So before we dive into it today, I'm going to reread our gospel reading so that we can just hear it one more time, because I know a lot sometimes is going on, and I really want us to sink, sink in with the meat of today's passage. So, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So the very first thing that we see in this passage is a family tradition of sorts, right? Everybody had their fun family traditions this week, I'm sure. Every year we like to do certain things, just like I'm sure your family likes to do certain things. But those certain things like Christmas movies or making cookies or visiting family, those things just don't happen. They don't just like miraculously appear you have to plan it out you have to be intentional about it you have to do a lot of work to kind of prepare to make those things happen and it was similar for Mary and Joseph in their day and age when Jesus was a, was a boy so it's and it actually was a lot harder than what we might have to do to pack a bag throw it in the car and head out of town for a couple of days every year entire villages and communities would travel up to Jerusalem together for the feast of passover so have you guys ever been to the Harvest Festival here? Big group of people, right? Everyone's kind of spread out all over the property. People are milling around. Or maybe last week at our Christmas Eve service at 5 p.m. when it was wall-to-wall people and standing room only. That's a lot of people. So envision for a second trying to move your entire family, not just your entire family, wolfs, well, not just your kids and all your grandkids, but also your entire faith community. So all the people that you just saw for Christmas, plus all the people here that are in our faith community, plus probably all their family and relatives, moving that whole group of people, not just an hour away, but on foot, historians say, from anywhere from three to five days travel, one way. Can you imagine that? I know we have to use our holy imaginations, and that might be hard for some of you. But it is so amazing to think about this huge group of people moving together, day after day, traveling to go back to Jerusalem. So it was no easy feat that they were doing. And so you might be like, "Well, why would they even do that? Why wouldn't they just choose for a quiet, family-centered little little journey and time in their family in their house with their people?" Quiet, still, maybe simple for Passover. But it wasn't the same as for us, where we can kind of go to a church pretty much in any city, find a group of faith believers and community, Bible based teaching. For the Jewish people, this was the time that they could, that they were allowed to travel to Jerusalem and worship at the temple. This was not something that they could do just whenever they felt like it. Even this journey that they took was this grueling, several-day journey on foot with all their things, their packages, their food, their family, their clothes, all the things to make this difficult journey to go and worship, and not to mention that their entire community was ruled by the Romans. So even though they were allowed to do this trip to go and worship their God, it wasn't like The Romans really liked that they were worshiping something other than their power. And so they really, it wasn't like they were insured safe passage or, you know, a Chick-fil-A or Starbucks along the way to stop and get food. It was very difficult. But in this traveling, Mary and Joseph would also be reminded of this longing that they had to experience the presence of God. And this is what the temple meant. So, they would do this whole grueling trip with their faith community and their family several days there, or several days back, because in the temple was where they could actually experience the
0: presence of God. And it makes me wonder a couple things from this passage. It makes me wonder
1: if we still long for our Savior, like Mary and Joseph and Jesus and the family of God would have longed for their Savior. I think that it's fascinating that we see Mary and Joseph being faithful when Jesus is just a baby. And we see them being faithful to knowing how to depend on the Lord. And they see these signs from angels, and they see wise men coming to them, and they see the shepherds coming to worship. But it's not just then that they're believing and holding to these truths. Here, 12 years later, we see them being faithful. We see them trusting God and remembering his promise of salvation, even when they haven't really seen the fulfillment of it yet. Hundreds of years that they've been longing for this deliverance from the Lord. And yet in the simple day in, day out, they're committed to being willing to make this journey annually, a grueling, difficult, long, hard journey to remember how God was faithful. So that's my first question. Do we long for what the Lord is going to come and do for us? Do we miss in all the festivities and in all of the celebrations? You might say, yeah, Melissa, we do. We long for it. We got it. We were here on Christmas Eve. We had our Christmas tree. We have our lights hung up. We went to see family. We got it. We got Christmas. But here's the thing, is that even in the midst of this worshiping Christ, we are in this in-between time where, yes, Jesus has come. Yes, he was incarnate with us as a person. He is Jesus come to earth. But yet we are still in the midst of a broken world. We are still in the midst of needing a Savior. And if we're not allowing space to long for that, then we're missing one of the most crucial parts of this story. If we are not allowing this longing to dwell up in us, I don't know about you guys, but no matter how joyous a time can be, there is a part of it that can somehow feel like it something is missing. There's still this longing or something goes wrong. Have you ever been like eating your favorite food and it's just so good? Or maybe that delicious dessert you had over Christmas and it's so good. And then all of a sudden you like bite your tongue. And your mouth fills up with blood, and it's like all, like, it just makes you so mad. You're like, I don't even want it. I want to spit it out now. This stinks. Like, what? That was, it ruined everything, you know? Or the, last week, we were at the beach for a couple of days to visit Randy's family, and um, we took our dog, Deacon, and he's precious. He's perfect. We love him. And um, at, it's his first time at the beach. And the beach is my favorite place. And we're so excited to have him out on the beach, you know. And it's so fun. It's so picturesque. I'm like, let's just run. Let's just run, buddy. And so I'm like running with Deacon along the the shoreline. And then we turn around and I'm going to sprint back to Randy and River and Asher. And Deacon sees him. I'm like, just go. Let's go. And we're like sprinting. And then he starts going faster and faster. And I am like holding the leash because, you know, he's supposed to be on the leash. And I'm like doing my best to run as fast as I can. And it's this like amazing run on the beach with my dog. And my feet start not being able to catch myself. And it's like this slow motion where I keep thinking the next one's going to catch me. And the next one. And it was this like slow fall until I face plant. And my dog's like back with the family. And I'm like there spread eagle on the grass, on the sand. And it it was hilarious, but I also, like, couldn't walk for days because my knee was, like, completely black and bruised, and I was like, no, I mean, what in the world? Like, this, like, joyous, like, glorious day on the beach running with my dog, and then, bah! And it's, it's a silly example, but it's also, like, that is how life feels a lot of times. We're longing for this glorious redemption that is still yet to come, and If we are not holding space for that longing, I fear that we really miss one of the parts that's crucial to our
0: faith, for that longing, for that longing, and that goes. So let's
1: move on to the next part of this, this passage. So like we have heard, Mary and Joseph are traveling with their entire village and lots of kids and lots of youth. Um, and they're, they're coming back. They've had Passover. They've celebrated. They've been there for the feast, and they're ready to return. And this is the part of the story that gives lots of Home Alone vibes, right? Anybody watch Home Alone this past Christmas? Okay, and also, I just want any parents that are like, how could you not know? How could you? Okay, hold on. Because if you have had a kid running around here, With all of the different places. You know, you might not know, you're like, wait, are the kids in the grove? Or are they out on the field? Or did they go to the basketball court? Or I'm sure they're here somewhere because I know we all came together. So they're here, but I don't have eyes on them right now. If you haven't experienced that, please come serve in the youth. We would love to have you. And you will get firsthand experience of what that is like. Um, And so, Mary and Joseph, they're with their group, their faith community, and they've traveled back a whole day, a whole day, y'all. And they start to think, you know, like in Home Alone, the mom on the plane. But it feels like something's not quite right. Where, where is Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? He, where, where's our son? Like, and they start checking with people. And they start wondering. And all of a sudden, this sinking fear starts to sit in. Now, I will tell you, losing a child is terrifying. It is terrifying, your worst fear coming true. I don't know if any of you have had this experience. A few years ago, um, River, my oldest, and I went on a trip to New York City. And we were with a group of girls from her um, school that we were doing a dance trip for their um, performing arts. And we were with a bunch of other dancers and a bunch of friends and a, a couple parents and the teacher. You know, we had gone to this amazing performance. And, um, afterwards it was like in this busy part of Manhattan, you know, streets are full, lots of people, there's like a club close by. And so there's like a lot of loud music and we're kind of like, all right, everybody here, let's go. Everybody get in the taxis. We're going to head out back to the hotel. And we're like, kind of like quickly gathering. And I just kind of do a quick scan to make sure everybody's there, namely my daughter, you know, and I don't see her. And I'm like, okay, okay. Let's not freak out. I like think it's fine. There's a lot of cars. There's a lot of moving pieces. And so I quickly, like, I say, hold on. Wait, guys, I don't see Riv. Is, is she anywhere with anybody? And everybody's like, no. And I'm like, okay. So I start to go, and I look in the taxis, you know, because some girls had already gotten in certain, like, taxis. We have taxis held up at, in New York City, mind you. And we're like, Hol, hold on one second. Our, one, one of the girls is not with us. And so we're, I'm like going and looking in and like checking in. I'm like, is River here? Like thinking, okay, I'm not going to freak out because clearly she's here somewhere. And, um, and so then several minutes later, she's still not there. And meanwhile, I've thought how many seconds have gone by while she's still not there. And all these people that have been passing for the last several minutes. And so I start to go into the theater And I'm asking and I'm looking and there's, it's a smaller theater. And so it wasn't like that ginormous. So we had checked the bathrooms and we had looked and everywhere, she's not there. And I start to feel that feeling of what if my child has actually just been taken? What if she's gone? And all of a sudden I kind of think, you know what? There's got to be another bathroom somewhere. Maybe there's a bathroom downstairs or another level. So i asked i said to some of the performers i was like is there another place like another bathroom or somewhere and they were like yeah but it's like a dressing room downstairs and i was like okay so i go down the stairs and i bust in the bathroom little dressing room ba- you know thing and i'm like river and she's like yeah and i'm like oh my gosh Ugh. okay well thank the lord you're here Okay, you know, and it's like that sigh of relief. And she was like, Sorry, the bathrooms were full upstairs. I just came down here. And I was like, Well, okay. Well, thank the Lord you're here. We have been looking for you for several minutes, but (laughs) everything turns out okay. And so I think about here's the thing is that, yes, we see the other side of where we know the next part of this passage when Mary and Joseph say, and we have this next part that says, Sorry when they are when they go back and it's like this sigh of relief that Jesus is there that he they have been he's been found in the temple and we realize that yes okay it's good but for those 3 days 3 days people they're imagining the worst they're imagining our son is gone our son is dead we can't find him they're imagining the worst and this is the thing i have never had to flee from a country for fear of my child being executed. And, you know, I know that we did not read that passage this morning, but just stay in Luke for a second. And I'm going to read this part from Matthew, just to jar our memories. Now, in Matthew 2, verse 13, if you want to follow along. Now, when they, the wise man, had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. And in, in all that region, who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel So I read all that just to give us a little bit of a memory, a reminder that this was not just something they were being irrational about. Just to give us a, this was not just something where it was like, oh, maybe Jesus has been taken. No, his life had been sought. He had been under persecution, had had to flee as a refugee with his parents to protect them, him. And as, a, as they're searching, going back, as they're returning to Jerusalem by themselves, without the community around them, without their entire village, they're going back alone and probably being very reminded of Jesus might be gone. What if this is what happens? What if this is the end of the story for him right now? And I, I just can't help but wonder if that was what they were most
0: afraid of in this world. To lose their miraculous son of God. The fear that would have set
1: in and that place of having to trust the Lord despite their worst fears possibly coming to pass. So this is my second question for us this morning. Are we willing to trust God with the things that we are most afraid of experiencing? Those things that at night keep you up. Those things that Burden your heart and your mind that make you afraid. Are we willing to give those things, even those things, to the Lord and ask for Him to guide us and allow us to trust Him with those deepest, darkest fears? There have been times when I've been wrestling with different things, and I've felt the Lord, even in my irrational fears, say, "What? What if that happens? Okay. What if that happens?" What if those worst fears come true? Is my arm too short to handle it? No, Lord, your
0: arm is not too short. What if the worst? What if the worst is true? What if the worst nightmare that you've dreaded becomes
1: your reality? And friends, as sad and hard as that is to hear, that is the reality of the world that we live in still which is why we have to be willing to open our hands to trust him with those fears, to trust him with those deep, dark things that we are afraid of. What is it
0: for you that is hardest to let go of? Maybe it's your grades. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's the safety of your children. Maybe it's what people think of you. Maybe it's disappointing others. Maybe it's being a failure. What is it that you are most afraid of? I would
1: encourage you to be willing to give that to the Lord and wrestle with him to trust him even in those deep, dark fears. He is
0: not unable to help in those places. So let's move on to the end of our
1: passage where they find Jesus in the temple, sitting among teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Thank thank the Lord, literally, that Jesus is safe. And that three days after being thought of the worst, that he was actually alive. There was this joy that he was found and he was there. And it wasn't that Jesus was just checking off things from the holiday bucket list. You know, he wasn't just trying to do a little bit more fun of festivities. He was sitting in the temple, this place where God dwells with man, receiving insight and wisdom, gaining in his understanding of what the Feast of Passover actually meant. And let's not miss that he was learning about who he was At the young age of 12, Jesus says when his parents find him, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Another way of saying that is about my father's work. Now, the last few weeks, John Milliken had led our kids in a series about identity, our middle and high schoolers. And we talked a lot about how in, you know, anywhere from 100 years further on from where we are right now, Your identity was not something that you dreamt up and discovered and spent time like wondering, what am I going to do with my life? And what do I feel called to? And what is the path for me? It was something that was basically said, hey, you're a carpenter's son, so you're going to be a carpenter. There was no guessing game about it. There was not this milling over it for hours of, I wonder what I'm going to do with my life. No, it was something that was very easily said and done. And so when we hear Jesus say to his parents, didn't you know that I would be about my father's work? Guys, this is huge because what we are getting a glimpse into at Jesus as a 12-year-old is that he is claiming to be God's son. He is receiving the ministry that what it means to have been born the son of God. He's receiving and believing these words that God has spoken about him. And I wonder, this is my third and final question for us this morning. Are we willing to believe what God has said about us, no matter how good it
0: is? Are we willing to believe what God has said about us, no matter how beautiful it might be?
1: I don't know if you were listening to that last New Testament passage we read today, but are you willing to believe that you? have been predestined for adoption. That you are an image bearer of God. That you have been called a child of the Most High with this gift of inheritance to become a son or a daughter of the Most High King. That you have been saved by grace through faith, not from anything you could do not from the merit of our own hand, but by the grace bestowed on Christ that we get to share in that inheritance of. When we truly begin to live this truth, when we begin to see that that is what is the most true about us, not what we do, not our jobs, not our grades, not our friends, not our circles, not our economic status, or what our bank account says. When we believe what is most true is what God's word has said about us, then it changes us, and it changes our path for the better, for the world around us. Because guys, we aren't just so fixated on ourselves. We're fixated on what God has said, and that Is how we grow in wisdom and in favor with God and man. We see this displayed in Christ's life as a 12 year old, as somebody that was a middle school age
0: son of God, knowing no matter what people said about him. I wonder if people still said that he was an illegitimate child. I wonder what lies. He encountered as he grew up. I wonder if he was bullied or if he felt like an outcast because he felt like he maybe didn't really belong. I just wonder. And yet he had to hold to what God had said as the most important. When we believe what God has said about us, no matter how good and beautiful it is, our lives are changed. And you know what? The people around us, they might not understand it. Even
1: beautiful and wonderful Mary and Joseph didn't get it. In verse 50, it says, they did not understand what he said to them. And they were the people who had seen the angels. They were his very parents and they didn't get it. And so even if you feel like the entire world around you doesn't get it, hold to what the Lord has said about you. Hold firmly to who he has called you to be. And may that be what changes us to grow in wisdom and in favor
0: with God and man. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.